are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. Good morning again. Um, Pastor Jeff is on vacation this week. Yes, praise God. It is good to get some time for rest and restoration, uh, some time to spend with his family. So this morning we have with us Pastor Sam Juan, who's going to be preaching. Uh, Pastor Sam is a friend. He and I went to seminary together here in Nyack. He works and he's on staff at uh, the Sycamore Church, which is an alliance church across the river. Uh, And he also works for an organization he founded and works for an organization called Pursuit NYC. And he ministers to youth and young adults in the tri-state area. Uh, He is a licensed worker of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And I'm going to pray for him in a moment. Uh, But just want to let you know, he's going to be speaking out of Genesis 22. And for those of you who use the Pew Bible, that will be on page 19 and 20. So when he brings it up, you know where to find it. So Sam, why don't you come up here and let's pray for you. Would you join me in prayer? Father, wherever Jeff and Annette and the boys are right now, I pray blessing over them. Um, This is normally the place where he's at on Sunday morning, and he pours out. And we're grateful for the way he's, uh, you've poured into his life, and he's blessed us. So we pray that during this time away, that he would feel restored and renewed. And Lord, we thank you that we are part of a community of believers where we can invite friends to share the word with us. And we thank you for Sam. Uh, We're grateful that he gave of his time, his effort, his prayer uh, to invest in his preparation and to invest in our community. And so to honor that, we, Lord, commit our attention to him because we believe that in committing our attention to him this morning, we are committing our attention to you. And we pray blessing over him, that he would speak freely the words you have given him. And Father, we pray and we tell... um, the distracting voices in our lives, that they are to be silenced in the name of Jesus right now. And Father, what you have for us this morning, we with open ears, open hands, and open hearts will receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Is this mic on? I've never used this before in my life, so I'm kind of excited. Um, that's actually why I agreed to come. No, just kidding. Um, but my name is Sam. I'm so honored to be with all of you this morning. Um, Living Christ Church has been such a blessing to my life personally, um, through events, leaders, uh, just every ministry you offer, inner healing, like I've taken advantage of it all. So I'm so honored to be able to come and share and give back to this community because you've been a big blessing in my life. So thank you for having me. And uh, this morning, if you could all turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. And we'll be reading from verse 1. So Genesis chapter 22. Verse 1. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. 
Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hands and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. To Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Amen? Let's pray one more time, and we'll jump into the word that God has for us this morning. Father, I just thank you so much for this church, this body, this family. Lord, you're here. So we invite you to come and do what you do best. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up, um, I grew up as an only child. So for me, imagination was a big part of my childhood. So whether it be action figures or uh, playing basketball in my driveway, I would have an imaginary clock in my head. Maybe some of you guys have done this too, where you have a countdown, three, two, one, and you shoot, you know, the game-winning shot. And And sometimes I would miss and call foul, even though I was by myself, but that was just kind of my imagination growing up as a kid. But I know that imagination and make-believe is not unique to me, but for all of us growing up. It's part of life. It's part of childhood. So as kids, you know, maybe if the kids are in the house, you could cover the ears for this, but as kids, we believe in the tooth fairy, you know, the Easter bunny, Santa Claus, and oftentimes part of that list is God as well. God is just another part of something we believe because it's part of growing up, part of our childhood. So what ends up happening is we either grow up beyond just our beliefs or our belief in God gets stuck as just a childish thing. Am I making sense? I believe what God wants to do in us is to grow us up to not just believe in God but actually trust in him. That God wants us to not believe the right things about him, know the right answers about him, but to actually trust him with all of our lives. God wants to mature us. So in order to help us grow, God sends tests and trials. In James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, it says, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work 
so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, salvation is free and can take place in a moment, but maturity is costly and takes place through a process. Now, in the kingdom of God, I believe that being mature isn't about being self-reliant, self-dependent, or self-made, but it's actually trusting in God with all of your life, that that's maturity. Now, trust is built over time. It's developed through tests and trials. And ultimately, trust is a relational term. You can believe from a distance, but you can only trust up close and personal. So in order for God to develop that trust within us, he actually takes us on a process, on a journey of faith, and it doesn't happen overnight. And truthfully, it's not easy. But imagine this, that the creator of the universe, the God of gods, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that's the one who desires to develop that trust in us. Like that's worth it. That's worth the journey. That's worth the process because he desires to have that kind of relationship. So we see that process happen in the person we read about this morning by the name of Abraham. We're actually introduced to him, you know, over 20 years earlier uh, when he's only known by his uh, previous name, right, as Abram. So God comes to me and he says, I want to bless you into a great nation. And the Bible says that Abram believed. Right? Abram believes. So God takes him on this journey. There's a big promise. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. you know, try counting the stars if you can because your descendants will outnumber them all. So there's this great promise from God, but there seems to be maybe even a greater problem, and that's the fact that he was childless. Even though he was already 75 years old of age, he didn't have a child of his own. But yet the Bible keeps you know, reinforcing the fact that he believed. So in that story, there's, there's 25 years of struggle where he sees cities ruined. He rescues his knucklehead nephew. Um, he sells out his wife, not once, but twice. You know, he needs Martin to kind of counsel him um, or something there. And, and he just goes through this and he messes up. He fails. But yet, yet God is so faithful to come and remind Abram of his promise. So 24 years goes by. Uh, Just going through real quickly for the sake of time, 24 years goes by, and God finally comes to Abram, and he says, next year is your year. Finally, next year, you're going to have a son of your own. And in that passage, he gets a new name from Abram to Abraham, from exalted father to the father of many nations. His wife gets a new name as well, from Sarai to Sarah. You ever read that part of scripture where where God comes with this promise, and and Sarah laughs, you know? And and it's kind of awkward, because God's like, Sarah, why did you laugh? She's like, I did it. But then God's like, but I'm God. She's like, you're right, I laughed. You know, it's one of those awkward (laughs) exchanges in Scripture that we see. But yet, even in the midst of that, God is faithful, and he says, next year is your year. And just as God said, the, the year comes, and Abraham and Sarah have a child of their own. The child is born, and they name him Isaac, which means he laughs. And I believe that during that time, you know, names were, were, were pretty profound in, in indicating your identity, your future, and all these different things. And, and I believe Isaac is named Isaac because it was a source of joy for Abraham. I bet he couldn't look at his son and not laugh, not be filled with joy because he waited a hundred years for this moment. He'd gone through the test. He'd gone through the trials. And yet God was faithful to deliver on his promise so he laughs whenever he sees his son, Isaac. But we know that from Scripture that this isn't the end or a happy, happily ever after, but in the midst of it, we see a curveball thrown by God. 
And God comes to him in, in Genesis chapter 22. The Bible says sometime later. Theologians and scholars still argue of, of how much later that might be. But most people believe Isaac is somewhere between the age of 12 to 18. So sometime later, God comes to Abraham and, and tells him, I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, at this moment, it's a crisis of faith because it doesn't make sense. You know, Abraham doesn't have the luxury of owning the Bible where he could jump to, you know, Genesis chapter 20. Oh, okay, he survives. No, he doesn't know. And it's a crisis of faith because wasn't Isaac a promise from God? God said that Isaac would be born and he was born, but yet now God is asking him to sacrifice his son. Now, if you look at it, God isn't necessarily nice about that ask either. If you read the scripture, he's like, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son. It's like, Lord, we know, you know. But he goes one step further, your son, your only son, the son you love. That's who I want you to sacrifice. It didn't make sense at all. Because how could this make sense if Isaac was a result of a promise? Now, in life, there will always be threats, trials, and disappointments that come our way. In these moments, our faith, our trust in God are tested. But I believe another way of saying that is that our, actually our faith and our trust are being developed. It's not so much that our faith is being tested as much as our faith is being developed. Because I believe that only a faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. God wants to bless every single one of you, amen? Amen. That he wants to give you uh, blessings, not for yourselves, not to hoard, but so that you could be a blessing to Nyack, to Rockland County, to your families, your friends, wherever you go. He wants to trust us with good things. But only a faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. I want you to know that trust isn't something you achieve. It's not something you arrive at. But it's actually a choice that you can make even in the midst of your test and your trial. It's not a feeling. It's not something you achieve, but it's a choice. In the 1800s, there was a, a French tightrope walker by the name of Charles Blondin. He was the star of the age, and his most famous trick was actually walking across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. So he would do that. Crowds would gather. They would chant his name. Um, you know, if, if smartphones existed, they would you know, capture it and everything like that. But he was the celebrity of that time, and he would walk across the Niagara Falls, but to up the ante, he would actually take a wheelbarrow, put a, a sack of potatoes, the weight of a person in it, and actually walk across the Niagara Falls. So after he would do that, he would turn to the crowd and say, how many of you believe that I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and take them safely to the other side? And the crowd's like, of course you could. You did it with the sack of potatoes. We believe. So his next question is, all right, if you believe, who's actually going to get in? And that's when the crowd went silent. And I believe that's the difference between just believing in God and actually trusting him. It's one thing to know the right things, that God can do it, but it's entirely different to actually get in the wheelbarrow that he's asking you to get in. And I believe that's how God wants to grow us up in our faith, in our trust, because he wants to bless this church. I mean, you've been a blessing to me personally, and I believe that God wants to do that, not just with me, but throughout this community, amen? But he wants us to mature uh, in our faith, in our trust, to take us to that next place. Trusting is always costly. When you believe, nothing is at stake. But something will always be at stake when you trust God, whether it be sacrifice, 
whether it be disappointment. But the question is, will you still trust? In these moments, questions will arise in our own hearts. God, are you truly trustworthy? God, do you even love me? God, I, I thought you were good. I believed you loved me. I believed you were for me, but I'm not quite sure. Now, can you imagine what Abraham is thinking in this part of the story? I believe the first thing he's thinking about is the word sacrifice. Now, for many of us in the 21st century, we're, we're so far removed from that term sacrifice. It's something, you know, figurative. It's something, you know, sacrifice. You know, like Kong sings and, you know, we do body worship or something. It's a figurative thing. But for Abraham, it was something that he has done throughout his whole life. Not to get graphic or anything like that, but to actually sacrifice would be to take an animal, a costly animal, you know, cut the throat of the animal, cut through the body, and then light a fire from the inside out. I mean, that was sacrifice. So when God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, he's not just thinking figuratively, but man, this is what I got to do to my son, my only son, the son whom I love. And I think when he's thinking about that sacrifice, he's also thinking about his own relationship with Isaac. I mean, he waited a hundred years for his son. I mean, can you imagine how spoiled Isaac must have been? You know? Like, he was the favorite son. He got everything he wanted. You know, I can imagine Abraham, he's old, but he, he wants to be there for his son, so they're playing catch. His back goes out every time, but he still wants to be there for his son. You know, he's one of those dads at the Little League games that, like, you know, cheers for everything. Isaac strikes out. He's like, way to be a go-getter, son. You know, that's kind of the father I picture Abraham to be. And Isaac's like, Dad, how, how come all the other dads have, have black beards and black hair, but yours is so white? And he says, son, have I, have I ever told you about how you were born? And Isaac's like, no, not again, not this story. I heard it my whole life. And Abraham goes on and on about how he was born of a promise that when he looks at his son, he thinks of God's faithfulness, God's trustworthiness, his goodness, that he's been faithful to deliver on that promise. Son, so whenever I see you, I know God is good. And that's the type of relationship I believe Isaac must have had with his father, Abraham. And another thing is, is that this journey that God is asking him to go on, it's a three-day journey. God says, I'm going to show you this region, the Mount Moriah, and it's going to take three days to get there. I think it's easy for us to ha- come to church service where the worship is nice, where the guest preacher is good looking. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise, God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Right? <laughs> Feeling good. I could just end the sermon right here. But I think you could go to something like that, and, and it's easy to sacrifice to God in the moment. Right? Because it feels nice. It, it feels right. It feels good. So I can sacrifice anything right now in this moment. But it's a three-day journey that he has to go on with his son. Can you imagine how awkward the breakfast, lunch, dinner would be? Day one. Day two. Day th- and I love that even in the midst of that, Abraham, he doesn't try to negotiate with God. He doesn't say, God, just give me one week. Just give me one more month. Just give me. He says, all right. It's a three-day journey where he really had to count the cost, where he really had to look to sacrifice, you know, in his face and realize this is what trust in God looks like. And yet it's in the midst of this we see the word worship for the first time. Now, if you ask me, that's kind of a weird place to see the word worship. 
If I was writing the, the Bible, you know, thank God I did it, you know, maybe after God created all things, seven days he rested, worship. No, not there. How about when Adam first meets Eve? That might have been a good place for the word worship, but no, nope, we don't see it there either. How about when Noah, you know, he builds the ark, the, the water, the rain comes, the rainbow shows up, and we see the word worship there. It would have been nice. But the first time we actually see the word worship is in this place of sacrifice, in this place of testing, in this place of trial. I think it's because the only legitimate response we have in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of not knowing what's going on is worship. That's the only response we have is to worship God. Now, sometimes we give a free will offering of praise and thanks, but other times we give a sacrifice of praise. Now, if you look throughout the Psalms, there's, you know, all these different things written there, and God considers it worship. I mean, did you re- have you ever read some of the Psalms? It's like, God, where are you? And God's like, yep, that's worship. Because he's not looking for the right answers. He's looking for our heart. He's looking for the authenticity of our relationship in him. Right? And that's what worship is. Sometimes we don't know what to do. And yet the only thing we can do is worship. Because if you look at it, Abraham's ultimate hope wasn't Isaac. It was God. And when we worship, we're saying that our hope isn't in someone or something, but in the giver of all good things. And that's God. And I believe that by this time, in this story, in his journey, in his process of 20 long years, 30 years, however long it's been, I believe Abraham reached a place in his life where he didn't just believe in God, But he actually trusted him. He trusted him enough to sacrifice his son Isaac. So they go up there. He ties the son up. And in those moments, it's easy to ask the the question, God, why? God, why would you do this? Why won't you allow this? Why, Why is this happening? But the question that trust asks is how. I don't need to know why. I just need to know how you're going to come through. How you'll redeem this. How you will be. God in my life. In life, storms will come. There's no such thing as storm-proofing your life. In the parable that Jesus teaches about the wise and foolish builder, the only difference was what they built their life upon. Sometimes when you're trusting God, building on his word, obeying his word, storms will come. The wind will blow. The rain will come down. Lightning will strike. Trees will fall. And you'll be soaking wet. And in those moments, the only decision you have sometimes is not to wait for the storm to pass, but to worship wet. To worship wet. Worship in the midst of the storm. Storm, you won't overwhelm me. Storm, you won't take my awe. You won't take my eyes off of you because I'm fixing my eyes on him. I'm trusting him. Sometimes you just got to worship wet. Sometimes you just got to worship wet. By trusting, by worshiping, we counteract our need to control with surrender. By saying yes to God no matter what. I believe trust is going from what if. God, what, what if this doesn't work out? What if I really do end up killing myself? What if? To even if. Even if I'll still trust you. Even if you're still good. Even if we have a covenant. You're a good God. And I believe that's what trust does. Now, if you go back to the story, Abraham, he tied us up his son. He's about to sacrifice him. And I can imagine him saying, son, 
I love you. It's an emotional scene. Tears in their eyes. Tense moment. And Abraham, I could picture him. Son, I love you. But I trust God. I love you, son. I trust God. And in that moment, the angel comes and says, Abraham, Abraham. Now, if I'm Abraham, I'm chucking the knife off the mountain at that point. You know what I mean? Like, God, you can't change your mind now. I just threw the knife. Oops, you know? And the angel comes and he says to him, now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you really trust God. Now, if God is sovereign and he's all-knowing and he knows all things, why, why would he make Abraham even get to that point? And I believe there's two reasons. I believe the first reason is because Abraham needed to know for himself. Because I bet even up to that point, I'm sure Abraham is wrestling, he's doubting, he's, he's not sure if you can actually go through with it. And I believe that God wanted to show Abraham what type of man he was. That, that Abraham needed to know for himself that he really did in, indeed trust in God. And I think the second reason is because God was looking to see something in Abraham, which I believe he wants to see in all of us, which is a reflection of himself. God wants to see a reflection of his own character in your heart. Because what's the goal of trust? It's relationship. What's the goal of relationship? It's intimacy. And the goal of intimacy is oneness, that you and God would be one. That when God sees you, he would see himself because you know what? One day soon, God too will send his son, his only son, the son whom he loves. But God won't stop himself because he loves us. And I believe when he saw that heart in Abraham, he saw a reflection of himself. He said, hold up, heaven. Angels, I see myself in this servant of mine. I see myself in this friend of mine. And that's what he wants to see in all of us as we live a life of trust. Because it's one thing for, for, for God to, for, for, for one thing for Abraham to be willing to make that sacrifice of Isaac, right? That takes a lot of trust. But I think it's, trust is a two-way street where God trusted Abraham enough to make even that request. Because trust is a two-way street. It's oneness that God is after, that you and God would be one. That living Christ church and God would be one. That when people in this community see you, they see his heart in you, his character in you, because you've gone to that place of trust. He wants to see himself in us. And I'm closing with this. I think when we read this story, it's easy for us to make it a formula. You know, just, just give your Isaac, then you can keep him. You know, so we have these nice Christian sayings. You know, a looser hold gives a better grip. Or be open-handed with the blessings of God, not tight-fisted. But it's not a formula. In my own story, I, I remember a few years ago, I was actually at Alliance Seminary just down the road here. And I was sitting in the chapel there, and God came. And I was just going through a tough time, tough season of my life. And he said to me, Sam, in your story... Isaac dies. I'm not going to stop you from laying down your Isaac, but will you still trust me? So this morning, it's, there's no guarantee. It's not a formula, but let's not get it twisted. It's not Isaac we need. It's God. Our hope isn't in Isaac. It, it isn't in the promise. It's the promise giver, the promise fulfiller, 
But even more than that fulfillment itself, and his name is Jesus. That's what we need at the end of the day. And he wants to give himself to us as we trust him with all of our hearts, all of our lives, all of our strength, that we would trust him because it's him that we need. So this morning, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. God, you are enough. You are enough. When we can't see, when we can't hear, when we can't feel, you are enough and we trust you. You are trustworthy. So Lord, as as a body, as a church, as believers, as your sons and daughters, as we go on this journey with you of trust, our prayer is that you would see yourself in us, that we would live a life of intimacy, of oneness, built on the foundation of trust. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Pursuit Cast. For more information on the ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.org. Revival or bust.